Welcome to the Hill City Church Podcast. We are a church family located in Springfield, Missouri. You can learn more about us and support our ministries at hillcitysgf.org. Good morning, Hill City. Actually, why don't you guys take a seat right now? You guys deserve it. Okay. And we'll read God's word here in a second. I am glad that each and every one of you are here this morning. You should feel good that you are in God's presence. It has been good to worship God this morning, but we're not done yet. We are going to continue to worship God this morning by looking at his word. So if you have your Bibles, would you please turn to Ephesians chapter 1 and Ephesians chapter 6. So a few weeks ago, I was coming home from work. I I walked through the front door. My family is already there, and the house is chaos, which is not that atypical for us. It's one of the reasons I know that I've come to the right house. But this particular day, uh, Caroline, my oldest daughter, comes up, and she gives me the lowdown about the drama that is going on. And she tells me that my four-year-old son... Uh, Josh, we call him LBJ, little baby Josh, has just hit my wife, Catherine. And so it hits me that my part-time job at the office is over and my full-time job as a uh, husband and father is about to begin. So I yell, hey, Josh, why don't you meet me in the kitchen? And my go-to in this kind of situation is usually to give a lecture, and then maybe a timeout um, if it's their first offense. But as Josh is marching across the house pouting, I think maybe I should up my dad game today because this is kind of a big deal. He hit his mom. So I say, Josh, on your way to the kitchen, why don't you grab the Bible? And, uh, you know, this is, this, is, this is not how we normally do it. Uh, we try to do it this way, but that's not how we normally do it. Um, so he grabs the Bible. I don't know exactly how this is going to go, but, you know, if the Bible's there, it can only be better. So, so Josh meets me in the kitchen, and I put him up on the counter so we can see each other eye to eye. And I grab the Bible, and I say, Josh, this is God's true word. And we believe whatever it says, and we do whatever it says. I say, Josh, do you, uh, do you believe that? And through a clenched jaw, he's like, yeah, Dad, I, uh, I believe that. And so by this time, there's an audience. My three other kids and my wife, uh, Kath, Catherine, are there. And uh, I say, hey, Caroline, why don't you take the Bible and why don't you turn to Exodus 21, I think 14. And so she turns to it and I say, can you read that verse? And she reads, she reads, children, do not strike your mother or father or you shall be put to death. So this, this, is, a, this is a true story. I promise you this is a true story. So I say, Joshi, we just, we just learned that and you just told me that, that this is God's true word and we do whatever it says. And so, Josh, I'm going to ask you, did you hit your mom? 
And Josh is like, yeah, I hit mom. And so I said, all right, Josh, this is what we're going to do. Because we believe this is God's true word, this is what I need you to do. I need you to go get the BB gun and meet me in the backyard. <laughs> so as I'm saying that, uh, my wife, Catherine, is looking at this. And she's stunned. And the only thing that she can do is mutter this prayer, Lord, help us. And so I look at Josh, and, I, and Josh has got big eyes, and he's kind of got a smile on his face, and he says, Dad, you're joking, right? And I'm like, of course I'm joking. Uh, but what I'm not joking about is that you don't hit your mom. And uh, I thought things were good, but the bad thing is like 30 minutes later, I'm pretty sure he hit his mom again. And so, man, it's just like I tried to do my best uh, but then through that and then also through, you know, a, a conversation with my wife, I realized that was, I was actually doing was I, was I was exacerbating my children and I was using God's word to do it, um, which was a, a double dad fail on my part. Um, so fast forward though, uh, like 12 hours, I'm checking my kids into Hill City Kids. Brad, our pastor, comes up behind me and says, Tim, uh, would you like to preach in a couple of weeks? And whenever he asks me that, like, it's such an honor. Like, I know, like, in my heart, like, I, I can't say no. It's such an honor. And so as I'm thinking through that, he says, I want you to preach on Ephesians 6, which is a section on uh, parents and children. And I try to keep a, a, good, a good straight face as he's asking me this. But in my mind, I'm thinking, oh, boy, because I realize what had just happened 12 hours before. So I, I, tell you, I tell you this, one is just to get it out there and, and realize that I am going to be preaching and teaching this morning from a place of humility. But two, also for all of us, I, I, I want to recognize that even though these verses this morning are, are pretty straightforward, it doesn't mean that they're easy. And they're not easy because there are a few things in this world that are more incredible than the parent-child relationship. But there's also very, very few things in this world that are more frustrating than the parent-child relationship. So as we navigate through this discussion, like it may not be as hard to navigate through this discussion as it was a few weeks ago on marriage, but it's still tough. And I just want to recognize that it's going to be tough and we're going to hit some things that frustrate us, frustrate, frustrate us. So let's not be taken off guard and let's just get that out there to begin with. And let's begin by praying the prayer that Catherine prayed for me, which is God help us. And then let's dive into this. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, God, you are a good God and your word is good. Lord, God, thank you for being our heavenly father and calling us to be your children. God, we confess to you, Lord, that your design for us as earthly parents and children, God, we don't do that very well. God, we have failed. But where, God, we have failed, you have succeeded, Lord. Be merciful to us as you train us through your word to honor you more as our heavenly father. Thank you, God. And may this be for your glory. Amen. All righty. 
So if, uh, if you're uh, new here or have just forgotten, this semester we have been in the book of Ephesians. So let me just remind you about the overall structure of this book. It is six chapters, and the first part of Ephesians uh, is it's about like these deep, deep truths about who God is, his heart, and his glory. It also gives us these deep, deep insights into us, our hearts, and our brokenness. But the good news about the first part of Ephesians is that God in his glory is determined to provide a way to fix our brokenness. The first part of Ephesians is gospel fire. It is amazing that the words don't melt through the page. All right? The second part of Ephesians we learn that the Apostle Paul knows clearly that the gospel, this good news that God is determined to fix our brokenness, is not just something that we understand with our brains, although that is important. It is also something that softens our hearts and it changes the way we live our daily lives. It changes the way that we communicate, the way that we express our anger. The gospel comes in and is in the midst of our most intimate relationships. And one of those relationships that we're going to talk about today is the parent-child relationship. So we are going to take the structure that the Apostle Paul gives us in Ephesians and we're going to apply it to the particular discussion today. We're going to start in chapter 1. And in chapter 1, we are going to see that the parent-child relationship in its most original and true form came from the heart of God. And he wanted this relationship to describe him as our father and the relationship that he desires for those that believe in his son, Jesus. Okay? And then we're going to go to chapter 6, and we are going to see the relationship between earthly parents and earthly children. And we are going to see that the success of that relationship directly correlates to how well it reflects chapter 1. Okay? Easy enough. So let's get into it. Chapter 1, verses 4 and 6. 4 through 6. It says, For he chose us in him before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in his sight. In love, he predestined us for adoption to sonship through Jesus Christ in accordance with his pleasure and will to the praise of his glorious grace. In these verses, we are going to see that the parent-child relationship in its original and truest form comes from God, it is through God, and it is for God. First, let's see that this relationship comes from God. The verse is, for he chose us in him before the creation of the world. It also says that in love, he predestined us for adoption to sonship. And he did this in accordance with his pleasure and will. You see, God is God and he gets to do whatever he wants to do. 
as God, there is nothing that controls him other than his preferences and his pleasures. So when God created us and we rejected him, he could have left us out in the cold, but it was his desire, it was his desire and pleasure to, re- to bring us back into his house and have relationship with us. That comes from God. And the relationship that he wants with us is not characterized as something like a boss and a worker or a coach and a player or a, did I say a, a, a teacher and a student. No, there's something more special about the relationship that he wants with us. It can only be characterized as a parent and a child. And this decision that he made, that he wanted to be our heavenly father and he wanted us to be his spiritual children, he made that decision a long, long time ago. It said that he chose us before the creation of the world. The God of the universe chose us. That should humble us and that should honor us. It reminds me of the husband that woke up and he forgot his anniversary. And he goes off to work, he's leaving for work, and his wife knows that he forgot the anniversary. And so as he's leaving the driveway, she's like, hey, honey, happy anniversary. And he's so ashamed and he's so embarrassed, he goes off to work. But before he comes home, he goes by the the jewelry store and buys a diamond pair of earrings. And he comes in and he gives them to his wife And his wife opens them, and on the one hand, she likes them because they're diamonds. But on the other hand, there's something that's just unsettled in her. Because she knows that this gift would have been better if she would have known that her husband would have planned for this and sacrificed for this for a really long time. But there's something bittersweet about this gift. Well, the invitation that God has for us to come into his family, there's nothing bittersweet about that. If you don't hear anything this morning, hear this. That the God of the universe, the God of all eternity, wants you to have relationship with him. And don't think for a second That God wants you to come into his family as a second-class stepchild. No. God wants you to be his beloved children. (laughs) When God welcomed us into his family, he did it through his, his son, Jesus Christ. And we're going to talk about that here this morning. Well, actually, let's just talk about that right now. So first of all, this parent-child relationship comes from God, okay? And it, and it exists also through God. So let me be very clear here first that our default is we are not children of God. That we, as Romans 5 tells us, we are enemies of God. And we're enemies of God because we have rejected him. We are selfish sinners. We would rather be the authority of our own life. Meanwhile, wrath is being stored up against us because we are just continually sinning. And God 
hates sin. Yet, yet God still desires to provide a way through him to come into his family. These verses say that he predestined us for adoption to sonship through Jesus Christ. In other words, while we were still sinners, God provided a way through the death of his son for us to come into his presence. Our adoption as children into the family of God came at great cost to himself. You see, you know, it says in these verses that that when God planned to be our father before the creation of the world, he, he didn't decide to do that because he saw us and knew that there was going to be something pleasant in us. No, he knew that we were sinners and he knew that we were going to be wretched. But he still planned the death of his son so that our sins could be forgiven, his wrath removed, and we could be welcomed in to the family of God. This whole thing happens through God. All right, so the parent-child relationship, it comes from God and it exists through God and it is also for God. So all of these great things in this verse, the, 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 the fact that he, that he chose us before the creation of the world, the idea that he, uh, that he sent his own son and he sacrificed for us, the idea that he wants to bring us in not as second-class citizens but as his children, all of those good things it says in these verse, verses were to the praise of his glorious grace. So a lot of people, they don't have a, a hard time like, like hearing about God's love for us or that God would even sacrifice for us. But when they hear that God loves us and sacrifices for us and he says that that is for his glory, that really rubs them the wrong way. They find that arrogant. But there are probably a lot of reasons that it's actually good that God is for himself. And here's one reason. Because as children, what we really want and what we really need, what we are designed for, that will satisfy us the most is to see God high and lifted up. And this is what we really want and what we really need. So it would be unloving for God, for God not to exalt and to display the one thing that we need as his children, the one thing that would make us really happy and really satisfied. It is good that God is for God and that his glory is for himself. And it's good that the parent-child relationship is for God because that makes us most satisfied. Alrighty, so the parent-child relationship in its truest form, again, it is for God, it is through God, and it is it's from God, through God, and it is for God. Alrighty, so there are probably an infinite number of things of, and nuances about this relationship that we'll never begin to really understand until the other side of eternity. And even then, it will probably take us 
like an infinite number of years to fully understand him. But there are some things that God wants us to know about his fatherhood and our role and the benefits as his spiritual children. There are things that God wants us to know about that right now. And so God uses the earthly uh, parent and the earthly child role and relationship to start drawing us in and teaching us about that greater reality in chapter 1. But let's take a look at those earthly relationships and let's go to chapter 6. So chapter 6, verses 1 through 4. In these verses, we're going to break it down this way. We are going to see the uh, good earthly design for children. We're going to see the good earthly design for parents. And then we're going to recognize that those, uh, the good design has been broken. We're going to recognize the broken reality. And then we're going to end by seeing the great hope. So let's read these verses. And then we'll start with the good design for earthly children. Alrighty, it says, Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother, which is the first commandment with a promise, so that it may go well with you and that you may enjoy long life on earth. Fathers, do not exacerbate your children. Instead, bring them up in the training and the instruction of the Lord. Alrighty, so what do we see in these verses that tells us the good design for earthly children? It's in verse 1. It says, children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. What a great verse. Can I get an amen from the congregation? Yes, right. So here, Paul doesn't have to perform any logical or theological gymnastics to make this point. He just says, when children, when you obey your parents, it's just right and good. He's appealing to the sense in all of us that know that children, especially young children, if they are to survive to adulthood, they've got to somehow obey their parents. If you've ever been to the park and have seen toddlers playing in the sandbox, they're just putting stuff in their mouth. They don't care how gross it is. They're just shoving it in there. But mom and dad will come by and they'll take that thing out of their mouth, which is probably a jagged piece of glass covered in hepatitis C or something as gross as that, and they take it out. And so it's good. It's right that that happens. And if the children doesn't comply and they don't learn to obey for that, they won't survive. And the people watching that, they just know that it's right for that to happen. So we learn through things like that, that even on the basic level, the earthly parent and the earthly child relationship, when it starts with the children obeying the parents, is a good thing. Because as they learn to obey the parents, not only do they increase their chances of surviving into adulthood, they're also developing these neural pathways and their hearts are being softened to the idea that God wants to be their father. And things are at their best when they learn to submit to their authority. That's not easy. But God has designed it for them to learn that through their earthly parent-child relationship from a young age. And it's a good thing. It's a good design. What about older children, though? 
What about teenagers? What about adults? What about them? What is their role? Let's look, look at verse 2. Verse 2 says, Honor your father and mother, which is the first commandment with a promise, so that it may go well with you and that you may enjoy long life on the earth. You may recognize this. This is the fifth commandment in the Ten Commandments. And the Ten Commandments were a set of rules or commands to all of Israel, not just the children. So the implication is here that if you have a mom or dad, no matter what your age is, your job is to honor and to respect them. Now that sounds, it sounds easier than it actually is. And the reason is, is because parents and children drive each other crazy. And I, I, I think that the Apostle Paul and the Spirit, like they know that there's something uniquely hard to obey in this command. And so that's why they add a promise. This is, this is the first commandment with a promise. Honor your father and mother so that it may go well with you and that you may enjoy long life on the earth. So first of all, let's just, let's just be clear what this promise is saying. It is saying in general, if you learn to honor and obey your parents' life, is just going to go better. It may not be perfect, but in general, things will go better. And that's the promise. But let's go back to the idea about why it's so hard to honor our parents. One of the reasons why it's hard to honor our parents is because there are some really bad parents out there. And, and even, even the really good ones, on their best day, they're still deeply flawed. And so children when you are called to honor them, like how do, how do you do that? How do you honor parents when you think that they're not deserving? And here's part of the good design, is when you learn to honor your parents, even though you think that they aren't deserving of it, you are actually honoring our God in heaven who is and always will be deserving of it. That's how you do it. It's like in Matthew 25, 40, it says, Whatever you did for the least of these, you did for me. The same principle applies here and on our design as children. Children, no matter what your age, when you honor mom and dad, this is your opportunity to love and praise and honor our good God in heaven who is and always will be worthy. That is the good design for children. All right, let's look at the good design for parents. We see these in these verses in the second part of verse 4. This is verse is to parents. It says, parents, bring them up in the training and instruction of the Lord. So I don't, I don't read Greek. I can barely read English most of the time. But when I listen to people that can read this original text, they tell me this phrase, bring children up. There is this command and this idea that children are to be valued and respected and given dignity. And because of their value, we need to protect them, to nourish them, and to provide for them. And this idea that children are to be valued and protected, this is a relatively new idea. A few years ago, there was an article that came out that was entitled, uh, Christianity Invented Children. 
And in this article, it talks about how children uh, up until modern times were thought more of as property than as people. And then the Apostle Paul and other early Christian teachers came in and as they taught that children actually had value, this was a brand new and profound idea that didn't register with a lot of parents at that time. And that's because they didn't think very highly of their children at all. They didn't want most of the time anything to do with their children. Um, they, they would rather the slaves raise the children or they would sell their children as slaves. Um, and, and those parents that did want to participate in, in child rearing, it, it often involved heavy beatings on a regular basis. Like children back then would look at children today and, and see how children today are punished. Like children today, they go to the rooms full of like video games and electronics and like the kids back then, they would roll their eyes because they got whipped. And if they whined about it, they got whipped even more. And if they displeased their parents for any reason at any time, they would be disowned and they would be rejected and their parents would abandon them or even worse. That was the world up until very recent. And then in this article, it's, it, it kind of tells this cool thing about this culture shift when Christians came in and, and, and started to tell uh, something new, that, that God uh, designed and ultimately died for all humans, including children. And because of that, children really are valuable. If God finds them valuable, then the culture should too. And slowly but surely, yeah, culture changed and they started to value children. Well, the theme of this, this article is kind of the theme too here when, when, when we are designed to bring children up. Is, is, is telling us that, yeah, children need to be valued and protected and nourished. And that is that one of the core uh, parts of our design is to make sure children feel that way as parents. But there's more than that. And in fact, I think the pendulum may have swung too far in the other direction because parents these days, they don't need to, to hear that their children need to be valued. We probably need to hear that they don't need to be overvalued. What we need to hear today a lot of times is, is that children are not for our glory, but to remind us that they are for God's glory. We need to be reminded that we have been entrusted with children for a short amount of time, but ultimately they are going to go back to God. And so there's a second part of this phrase here. It says that we as parents are to bring them up, but we are to do it with a purpose. And the purpose is to point them to God and to the things of God. It says bring them up in the training and the instruction of the Lord. So there are a lot of different parents in the room, and there's probably a lot of different ideas about how this happens. But let me just cut the chit-chat, and let me tell you primarily how this happens. This happens, parents, when we read the Bible to our children and we teach them the Bible. We are the best Bible teachers for our children, and that is our design, and that is our role. Okay, And when we're not teaching the children the Bible, we are training them to live out what they learn in the Bible. Okay? And there's an intensity in which we do this, okay? So if, 
if our children, if they know how to make their bed and behave at the table, if we get our kids on a good sports team, if we get our kids a good tutor so that they can get good grades and a good score on the ACT so, so that they can get into a good college and meet good guys and gals and, and date those guys and gals, if our kids are doctors and lawyers, but they don't know God's word and the things of God, then we have failed our design as parents. Because that is our primary role. The primary role of teaching does not come from up here or in the classrooms upstairs or at school or out, of, out, out in the world. The teaching of the Bible for our children comes from us, parents. That is our primary role. That is our good design as parents. So earthly children have a good design. Earthly parents have a good design. But if we're going to be honest this morning, that, that, uh, that we're not living up to that standard. That, that, that as parents and as children, we're not, we're not meeting that. There is something broken in that design. There's a broken reality. And the broken reality is, is that children, you don't obey. We don't honor our parents. And parents, and I'm speaking to myself here, that, um, you know, most days I wake up and and, and I struggle just to meet my kids' physical and basic emotional needs. And I'm just trying to get them to bedtime. And most of the time, I can't do that correctly. And so this idea that I am also going to teach them uh, about God and nourish their spirits in the way that we're called to do, man, sometimes that doesn't even hit my radar. Or when it does, it's an afterthought or something I just can barely fit in. That's the broken reality. And in the first part of verse 4, there's, there's part of these verses that kind of speak to that. And in verse 4, it says, Fathers, do not exacerbate your children. Other versions say, Parents, do not provoke your children to anger. So this is specifically addressed to fathers and parents, but I think there's something for children there that I just want to mention. So children, the reason that like the Apostle Paul and the Spirit is saying, uh, hey, parents, don't provoke your kids to anger is because there's already enough anger in your heart already. It's like the great parent that walks past their teenager in the hallway and says, hey, Emma, I, I hope you have a great day today. You're looking great. I love you. And Emma, the teenager, says, I hate you and don't ever talk to me like that again. And kids say stuff like that because there's anger already in their heart. And there's anger because they have sin in their hearts. And that sin causes them to rebel against the God-given authority that, that God has put over their lives. It makes their anger, and there's anger there at base, baseline. But as parents, we also, we're not any better. We also have anger in our hearts. Like we haven't gotten over our child selfishness in our hearts. And so that when, we're, when we are called to sacrifice for something other than ourselves, even when it's our kids, it really irks us. And it comes out a lot of times as anger. And so we're anger, and then it provokes our kids to even more anger, and it's just a mess. The whole thing is broken. But there's hope. There is great hope. Our great hope is what we learned in chapter 1, <laughs> like 20, 30 minutes ago, which is this. That God the Father, with this whole parent-child relationship, it comes from Him and it is for Him. But it also exists through Him and it can be fixed 
through him. This morning is Palm Sunday. And on Palm Sunday, Jesus came into Jerusalem. And the crowds were going crazy for, Jerusalem, or for Jesus. They were proclaiming that he was king. They were acknowledging that he had authority. And whether they fully realized it or not, they were acknowledging the fact that he has the power to make everything broken in this world right again. And that includes the parent-child relationship. If you are going to be helping out with communion this morning, would you please come to your stations here in just a second, uh, Hill City, we are going to invite you to take communion. And when you do, you're going to come down these center aisles. You don't need to say anything. But the bread will be broken and it will dip into the blood. And what this symbolizes is that this great reality that, that God the Father is perfect. And Jesus the Son is perfect and that they had this perfect relationship together. But the Father sent his Son to earth. And on earth, Jesus perfectly honored the Father. And he obeyed his dad all the way to the cross. And this promise that applies to us that all things should go well if we learn to uh, obey and honor our parents, that didn't at least initially uh, apply to Jesus. Because Jesus died on the cross and he poured out a costly blood. And that costly blood is you take communion and you remember. It is the power of that blood that welcomes us in to the family of God so that we can experience that true and great relationship that God has for us, that he can be our father and that we can be his children. Amen.